Those people that have doubted me have been motivation to pe to be able to get it right. And I've learned, you know, I've I'm definitely like learned how to to pull back the reins and to pace myself better. I feel like I'm I'm like in, kind of in the prime, and you know, I have a lot of gratitude for that because I have made a lot of mistakes, and and I take those those struggles and those mistakes and you know apply it to to be able to get it right. Welcome back to the 8020 Endurance Podcast. Today, we're in for an extraordinary treat as we sit down with the incredible Camille Heron, a scientist, coach, public speaker, world record holder, and a four-time international ultra runner of the year. Known for running with her hair down, a big smile, and powering through ultras with tacos, join us as we discuss what fuels her incredible journey. Enjoy! Camille Heron, welcome to 8020 Endurance, the podcast that's 80% uphill and 20% vertical. <laughs> welcome, Camille. We're so happy to have you. This has been a long time coming. We were just chatting before that our schedules have been trying to line up for a while, and we're so excited to get you before your 24-hour race coming up soon. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it's great to connect with you all. And yeah, I talk about anything you want to ask me. I'm a, I'm a pretty, pretty much an open book. So yeah, I think thanks for having me on. Right on. Yeah. I just wanted to uh, start off actually by, by explaining the timing of our outreach to you. So, I mean, definitely we would have wanted to have you as a guest sooner or later, but my older brother, uh, Josh, who's also a runner, is a big fan of yours. And, and he told me, you got you got to get Camille on your podcast. So I'm like, all right, I'll do it. Um, but I, I wanted to ask, I'm curious, because I grew up wanting to be famous. Like you know, I was really into writing and I wanted, I wanted, you know, from the time I was like in elementary school, I wanted everyone to know my name. You, you have fans like my brother, like people who really look up to you and a lot of them. And I wonder like, you know, everyone's got their own take on having a, a public profile and, and fans, as it were, like that. Is it weird to you? Do you enjoy it? Do you feel a sense of responsibility? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually really shy and introverted, which uh, people would be really surprised about. But um, I mean, I was really quiet when I was young. And yeah, becoming famous has been really kind of strange for me. I mean, I used to <laughs> I used to work in a lab and research and just working in an isolated environment and you know just quietly doing what I do. And so yeah, when I when I jumped into ultra running and I mean I, I had a long marathon and career and I kind of developed a little bit of fame back then. But um, but yeah, when I made that leap to ultra running and won my first world title back in 2015. Uh, suddenly I'm famous <laughs> like around the world <laughs> and um, I remember even like after I won that world title and went back to I literally had like won the world title jumped on the plane went back to work on a Monday back to my normal job and suddenly I've got all these like interviews and you know people reaching mm -hmm. out to me and um, and I was just like, I don't know what to do with all this. So I got to give credit to my, my husband, Connor, helps me manage all the communication and working with my sponsors and, and all that. But I mean, I, everybody that knows me back home in Oklahoma City, uh, I mean, they, they see me out running all the time. And I mean, I'm just the same like normal human that, you know, they've known for all these years. And yeah, and I, I, I feel like I'm a pretty normal person. But yeah, it's really strange when I go to events and 
people see me and they're just like ecstatic and I have to remember that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I have to remember that I'm famous too <laughs> so uh-huh. <laughs> so even after eight years it's still uh it's still not really setting no in. no it, and people people like are afraid to like come up to me and like I'm so like normal and like down to earth and just you know just have normal conversations with people like I go to events and I hang out and I'm dancing and doing shots of fireball and like <laughs> 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 so yeah I, I feel like I'm pretty normal but uh I guess I am famous <laughs> yeah you are you definitely are <laughs> What was that shift like going from being a very successful runner with a day job Monday through Friday, like you're talking about, to shifting full time all of your energy towards running? And I asked this question also knowing that I've I've heard you talk about how you've always known that you were going to be a runner and like this is why you were put on this earth. And so was that hard even having a normal job in quotes before you made that leap? And were you just so excited to dive in? <laughs> Yeah, it was it was really strange. Um, yeah, I mean, I I feel like I, I I'm really talented at a lot of things, and I feel really blessed that I even tried ultra running back in 2015. Because even the year before that, I I had been a marathoner for a long time and made three Olympic marathon trials. I mean, I felt like I was pretty pretty much done with being you know 5K to the marathon. Had competed for a long time, and I was at the point where I was going to retire from competitive running. And I had even tried two ultras and they didn't go very well back in 2013, 20, 2014. And um, so I was really kind of on the fence because I was in my mid thirties and just thought, okay, I've, you know, got a pretty established profession. I love my day job. I have two dogs. Like I'm just, you know, I'm living a pretty normal life. Um, But I basically decided to recommit myself to the ultra running journey back in 2015. And what I did, the, re- the way it happened, um, I've got my husband, Connor, that's coached me for a really long time. And um, when I had done my first couple ultras, I was actually trying to extend my long runs and doing more long runs. And I was feeling tired. I was feeling tired and just broken down. Like I just felt like I was losing the zip in my step. And so uh, my, my husband, Connor, and I, we went back to my marathon training approach that I had always done for 10 years, like had a lot of success with. And so I basically just took my marathon training approach and started doing ultras in 2015. And that was when I got my leg speed back and I started really having that pop again in, in my legs. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, broke, I broke one of Ann Trayson's records in my first 100k and I I mean I went into this race like pretty blind about the sport I think I had read about Ann Trayson and Born to Run but that was pretty much the extent of what I knew about Ann Trayson so when I broke one of her records I think I was driving to work on like a Monday and the race director called me and was like hey do you realize you broke a record by Ann Trayson and so I had to Google who Ann Trayson was uh, when I got to work that day. And, uh, and then that's kind of when it dawned on me, like, oh, I might be good at this. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, think I would, you know, I got to credit knowing about Ann Trayson and what she did, you know, as being an inspiration for me and thinking, okay, like, <laughs> I might be good at this. And so I went to the, the world championship in the fall won my first world title for 100K. I had also qualified for the 50K 
U.S. team as a split en route to my first 100K. So I qualified for the 50K team, um, won the, the 50K world title that year as well. And then I broke Ann Trayson's 50-mile world record. I think I was like two and a half minutes under that. So, so yeah, it was, it was all pretty overwhelming for me that first year because I, I, I mean, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I have established career in research. I was not expecting to suddenly my running career starts pretty much all over again and have a whole new set of goals and a whole different community. And yeah, I ended up getting my, my husband Connor involved because I was just so overwhelmed and just trying to manage, you know, communications and brands reaching out to me. And I ended up getting an agent because I had no idea like how to handle uh, the sport professionally. You know, I'm, I'm working my research job. I don't, I don't know what to do with all this. So, um, so yeah, it was just pretty overwhelming that first year, but you know, I, a star was born, (laughs) a star was born and, you know, I feel a lot of gratitude that I even try the sport because a lot of marathoners probably wouldn't make that leap. And, I, you know, I, I talk about social media. It was scary for me, like making that leap from the marathon to hundred K and, um, not knowing what's going to happen, you know, with your body, your nutrition, all that. But, uh, I took that leap and, um, yeah, I'm really grateful that I did and that I have my husband supporting me. So could you say a little bit more? I mean, that's really interesting how you sort of went into, you know, making that leap with some assumptions about how your training approach had to change. And those assumptions turned out not to be valid. And so you went back to a formula that had worked for you in a different context. And in point of fact, you are running ultra distances, but you're running them very fast. <laughs> so it's sort of like it's now, it now is a speed thing it, <laughs> to run it is. You know, 100K, 100 miles. Could you say a little bit more like about why that approach works for you? And, and is it something that you would actually recommend to other ultra runners? Yeah, absolutely. I like I kind of like I said, I kind of came into the sport with the blinders on and I just had these assumptions. And I think a lot of a lot of people that are not part of the sport probably assume you have to do more long runs. You have to extend your long runs to be able to go that distance. But yeah, like you said, it's it's a speed event. You know, if you want to break records, you got to go fast. You got to get your legs turning over. And I think in terms of like why my marathon training approach works is because I'm just training my body in a variety of ways, a variety of speeds, but I'm also putting in really big volume. Like I run twice a day, most days, I'm usually running 11 to 13 times a week. And somebody, somebody said that my training approach is kind of like the Hanson's training for ultra runners. So I don't know if you know anything about the Hanson's approach, but um, I actually haven't read their book. So uh, I I joke that, you know, great minds think alike. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah, like I, I just, I just think that the way I train, I mean, I, I have a master's in exercise and sports science. I did my master's basically on how to optimize mechanical stress for bone and muscle health. So I know the science, I know like what's happening inside the body. And I was able to take those, those concepts that I know about bone and start applying it to my training. And, you know, funny enough, I guess it's kind of like the Hanson's training approach. But yeah, twice a day running most of the time. And, and I feel like I like to think of my training as being like bricks and you're building, you're taking these bricks and you're building a house. And so every day, every run that you do adds up to build this house. And so, you know, in terms of ultra running, that it's not so much about doing a lot of long runs and extending your long run. It's about adding up those bricks 
And it's that that cumulative consistent volume that you put in over, you know, the months leading up to event that gives you the strength and the endurance to maintain yourself. It's not just about those single long runs. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's kinda that's kind of like my my mindset is just thinking about that cumulative volume. And then obviously I have, you know, I stress my body uh, once or twice a week. I do strides, I do drills, I get in the gym, I do strength training. I've added in a lot more walking recently because I'm, I'm getting more into these multi-day events where I might have to walk for periods. So yeah, I just really, I just really think it's about, you know, the human body is meant to move and stress your body in a variety of ways. And I just think that that's why my marathon training approach works so well, that I'm, uh, you know, I'm just stressing my body in a variety of ways. I'm not doing a lot of long, slow distance. Uh, that I just feel like when I, and I'm somebody that's a scientist, I, I like to experiment. And so when I experimented at the beginning of my career and I tried to do those long runs, extend my long runs, it made me slow. It made me feel like it took the zip out of my legs and I underperformed. So, yeah, I just, you know, in my, in my mind, I needed to go back to what I knew worked. And, you know, I brought that marathon training approach to ultra running and, and had a lot of success with it. Yeah, you speak about the side of your training, you know, the the runs, the strength training, those kind of components. But how did your, um, men- the mental side of it, how did that have to shift from going to marathon to ultra marathon, yeah, and just in general from totally. working and not a job to now <laughs> running is my full time job yeah. and passion, but it's it's what you do now. Yeah, I well, I, I think it really helped that um, as a researcher, I used to spend long periods of time in the lab uh, having to concentrate and focus on what I was doing. I did bone imaging, and so I was doing for hours on end, just focused on the computer. So. I I feel like that kind of helped me just having that training and that experience really helped me to be able to focus and get inside of my head and like just kind of tune out the noise in these ultras. And so I think it's just naturally wired in me just for my profession. But yeah, when I go these long distances, I, I talk a lot about my, my childhood as being my inspiration. I think about the struggles that I had as a kid. I mean, I, I grew up, I was born with a central auditory processing disorder um, and I didn't have all my hearing. And so as a kid, I was always kind of like in my own headspace because the world was quiet. I couldn't talk and um, I didn't understand communication. Like I was just like, I would just smile, <laughs> I would just smile. <laughs> I was really, I was a really happy kid. Um, and so I was just really happy and I would smile and that was kind of like my way of communicating. Um, but I just think that I'm, I'm a person that's just naturally wired to be in my own headspace. Um, because that's that's what it was like when I was a kid, and so, um, but yeah, my 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 parent, both my parents were athletes, and so I, you know I got to credit my parents because um, I'm I'm tall, um, I have long arms and legs like my dad, um, who played basketball, and then my my mom was a swimmer, so I probably got my endurance from her. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, as a kid, I just, I was just full of energy, and my parents had to put me in lots of sports and. Um, and yeah, when I when I'm doing these ultras, I'm thinking a lot about those, those experiences when I was a kid, you know, hearing stories about my dad pushing himself as a basketball player. It was just wired in me from the beginning, like to push myself to the extreme. And so, yeah, I, when I when I'm doing these long ultras, I, I tend to flash back to my childhood and, and those sort of things. So, you know, you've had, you know, two distinct kind of careers as a runner, the, you know, the road focused 5K to marathon career and now 
the ultra stuff, you were very successful at the shorter distances, but you're the best of all time, you know, at the ultra stuff. So, you know, probably arguably like you're in your sweet spot now um, in terms of like explaining, um, you know, why you're particularly suited to the ultra stuff. Is there, are there physical reasons for that? Or is it, the, you know, the mental stuff that you were just explaining to us, is that, you know, the main reason that you really shine at, at the longest distance or, or a mix of both factors? <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, in terms of, you know, the genetic factors versus the environment, I, I mean, I think it's a combination of both. I, like I said, I definitely have the genetics. I'm like, I, somebody said, I'm kind of like Paula Radcliffe. <laughs> for ultra running because I, I'm built similarly like and my dad my dad jokes that um because I have long legs that it's kind of like a big wheel versus a small wheel that I'm able to cover more distance but I'm also <laughs> I'm also a shuffler so I'm really efficient with my gait so I'm a long leg shuffler and I have a really unique running gait as well so I was born with a twist in my right femur and my right arm. And so I'm quirky. And I mean, you have to think that you have to think that anybody, <laughs> anybody that's a world record holder is probably they're different. You know, they're wired differently mm -hmm. in terms of their physiology, their an anatomy. Um, and so, yeah, I was built with this funky twist in my femur. And I think I just naturally learned how to be a shuffler. Like I lift, I lift off the ground. Somebody's called me like being, being like a hovercraft. Like I'm just really low to the ground. I'm really efficient. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, that's just the way my body adapted to be, um, to, you know, minimize force and stress on my body. So I'm, I'm really, really efficient the way I run. But I've also been tested in the lab because um, I'm part of the Lululemon Further Project. So we developed this team and I've been working with Trent Stellenworth and his team. And so um, <laughs> we've learned we've learned quite a bit more about my own physiology and that, you know, I'm a natural, um, I'm naturally good at fat metabolism, which is something I had learned about in grad school when they did a bunch of testing on me that I, my natural diet is higher in fat. And it's not like I'm forcing myself to eat more fat. This is just like what my body craves. And so I knew going back to grad school, I had had my VO2 max tested. It's really high. So I have a really strong heart. I have really good fat metabolism. And Trent says I'm probably more slow twitch muscle fibers. So I, I would love to be lab tested some more. And um, I think there's like a, a maybe it's like an MRI a device that can determine your muscle fiber type. So I would love to do like more lab testing and like learn more about my muscle fibers. But yeah, I've got the muscles, I've got the heart, I've got the fat metabolism, and then I've got these quirky like mechanics that I was, you know, born with. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think I have the, the anatomy and the physiology, but in terms of environment, I, you know, I've, I've had struggles throughout my life. I've had different inc incidences like throughout my life. And I feel, I think about those struggles and how I was able to push through those struggles in my life um, to, to continue to pick myself up and be resilient as a human. And so, yeah, I think, I think back about those things. Like when I'm doing these ultras, I'm thinking back, you know, about how hard I worked to get to where I am and, you know, just having kind of like an attitude of gratitude uh, when I do these ultras. And I, I think you have to, <laughs> I think you have to be like grateful to be there, to be in the moment, to be able to, to do what I do. I mean, it's, it's a really extreme, uh, you know, effort. 
Um, and then I'm, I'm a really positive person. So what we do in ultra running is really, really grueling. And you, you kind of have to have a sense of humor about it because I mean, I, I laugh about like, I could be like puking or having diarrhea and, um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, puke and rally, puke and rally. <laughs> 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 so, so yeah, I just I just always find a way to look on the sunny side of things, um, and and yeah, I, you know I I like my my I remember as a kid like watching the Rocky movies and you know just relentlessly throwing punches, you know twelve rounds of punches, um, and so yeah, I just I just have a lot of like kind of metaphorical things that you know um, go through my head when I'm doing these ultras, like you know keep throwing punches like Rocky or you know puke and rally or and like, <laughs> but yeah i just um i just think i'm just wired to do it and i think a lot of it you know those those environmental experiences going back to my childhood where i would push myself to the point of blacking out you know playing basketball in the driveway and go inside eat food you know i i love to eat as well because obviously as an ultra runner we have to take in a lot of food and um you know keep moving um, you know, so as long as I have food and water, you know, I just keep going. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I think there's a lot of quirky things. And yeah, you got to be able to stomach a lot of food. And, you know, I, I eat on a daily basis. I'm eating five or seven times a day and then going out for my two runs a day, sometimes three runs a day. Um, and so it's just, you know, constantly um, training my gut, training my mind every day. And yeah, all those bricks add up to build this house and gives me that strength and endurance to go these extreme distances. So I love how confident you are talking with us right now, <laughs> but also yeah. um, in other conversations that I've heard is that you're you're just so steadfast on knowing that this is what you're supposed to do. And not just because you feel that you're supposed to be a runner, but you also have all of these things to back it up. And it's just such a good blend of what you studied and what you're interested in and also coming into you know, your own running. And I like to think that self-awareness is another up there, one of the top attributes that endurance athletes should have just because it helps so much in racing, like you're saying, and you know, motivation for one person, if you, if someone's puking on the side of the course and you tell them puke and rally, like that could really piss them off. But for you, that's what gets you going. Um, and maybe it's because you're passing them and you're not the one puking. But I just, I want to know from your point of view at, in, in your entire life, not just now where you are, but what other attributes do you think really help endurance athletes succeed? Yeah, gosh. Um, I mean, it, it seems like the longer I go, the more like troubleshooting like it, it comes down to. And I, I think of it as being kind of like a game of human chess and trying to like make all the right moves or you might make a bad move or um, but you're just trying to win the game. And um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I just I think there's a lot of troubleshooting and just um, yeah, I, I got to give credit to having a great crew as well. I mean, my, my husband, he helps me like reframe things a lot of times. Like when I did my 48 hour world record, like this is a monster event trying to trying to do, you know, I, I know how hard it is for like 24 hours and having to do that for two days. I mean, I, it was hard for me to wrap my head around doing that. Um, and I, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite mantras is how do you eat the elephant? You eat the elephant one bite at a time. So when I was, I was really struggling on day one, 
of my 48 hour world record. And I, I credit my husband because he helped me to, to reframe it and to break it down. And that when I was 80 miles into the race, he was like, he's like, don't even think about the 48 hour. Let's just focus on trying to get to 100 miles, trying to get to qualifying for the 24 hour team. Um, and so when he like helped me to have that mindset shift to, to not even think about the second day, like I was just kind of had it in my mind, okay, like let's just get to 100 miles. Let's like, so we were able to break down, um, you know, how to eat the elephant. And so we kind of set like these mini goals, you know, to be able to, to, to reach, you know, going, you know, a hundred miles, 24 hours. Um, and so like when he did that, that was so helpful. Like I, you know, you can't be thinking about going, you know, that, that these crazy distances, you just have to like mentally break it down and have many goals that you're trying to reach. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that that's a huge, huge lesson, you know, that, that, um, you know, not only for me, but also the athletes that we coach, you know, that, that you can't think about, you can't think about the elephant. You have to think about those bites. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's really important for going these long distances. And I, I talk about nutrition. <laughs> you have to be able to stomach a lot of calories, but you know, sometimes like whatever you're doing may not be working in the moment and you, you kind of have to have like nutrition alternatives. Um, and so I, I actually work with a dietitian that I worked at for two and a half years and she's kind of given me, you know, some, some different options to work with. And so like when I did Spartathlon here about six weeks ago, that I had kind of like this buffet of different things that I could, you know, work with that if, if something wasn't working in the moment, I go to this or, you know, I, I can't be necessarily like stuffing myself with lots of carbohydrates all the time, because sometimes that can trigger yourself to get sick during these ultras. And so like when I started to feel a bit nauseous during the race, I knew like to back off uh, what I was doing and just like sip on fluids for a bit. So yeah, I feel like, I feel like, like, you know, a lot of these things are, you know, just from experience, like what I've learned from, from doing it. Like, so I've been in the sport now for a while. And so I feel like I have a lot more wisdom uh, and, and, you know, just trying to, to take that wisdom and, you know, keep improving, keep, uh, you know, striving for that perfect game of human chess. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think that, yeah, there's just a lot of like quirky factors. Um, yeah, definitely like going these long distances. Um, I'm getting, I've done 48 hours. I'm getting ready to go for six day event. I mean, that's a massive elephant. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm going to be running, you know, for three times the distance. And so, um, I mean, there's only so many long runs you can do, you know, for something like that. And so I have to, like I said, I, I think of it as cumulative volume. Um, I've been training mostly on road, um, road training here since June, just trying to get my legs acclimated to being on the road, being on concrete, you know, that specificity of what you're training for. Um, and, and yeah, and then I've done, I'm doing a couple ultras building up to that six day event. And so I think that, you know, I think of those, um, you know, racing is training as well. <laughs> I did Spartathlon, I'm doing the 24 hour world championship. And I mean, those, those are stresses on my body that I feel like are acting as those bricks, those building blocks to prepare me for the six day event. So, so yeah, I think that there's definitely, you know, some specificity, the mental aspect, nutrition, I guess one thing I didn't talk about was sleep. So, um, so like a lot of ultra runners, especially like for 48 hours, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you're trying to gut it out for two days of like sleep deprivation, but I I've learned from my 48 hour world record that it's, it's definitely strategy. And I was able to, to, to apply like little micro sleeps during those two days. 
And, you know, even like you lose a little bit of time, but you gain so much more on day two. And, you know, as a, as a scientist, I know like what happens with your body when you sleep, you get a surge of growth hormone that, you know, helps your body to be resilient and to keep, keep going. And that, that, um, you know, they, they graphed my data versus like other 48 hour runners. And like those last 12 hours were amazing. And I think it's because I was incorporating sleep that helped my body to be strong and resilient and to have that mental focus those final 12 hours. So yeah, I definitely think that sleep, you know, becomes more of a strategy going into the multi-days. And uh, obviously for six days, I'm going to be having to incorporate more sleep you know, and, and to be able to keep, keep myself going. So, so yeah, there, there's, you know, I think it depends on the distance. I mean, ultras, uh, anything longer than the marathon. And obviously for the shorter races, you're not going overnight. So you don't have to worry about sleep. It's more about speed and it's kind of more like an extended marathon. When you get into these longer days, it becomes more strategy and nutrition, sleep, muscle resilience, and that sort of thing. So You've mentioned that uh, you you love to eat and that you eat a lot. Um, and yeah, any anyone who follows you on X, formerly Twitter, as I do, um, enjoys your food related <laughs> tweets um, as a whimsical way of getting you to speak a little bit more about your your approach to diet. I would like to ask if you had to eat only one meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for an entire month, what would you choose? I think I've answered this before. Uh, somebody maybe had like a list of foods or something. And I had to like pick it. I have, man, I, I love a good steak, medium rare filet mignon. I could eat steak every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> steak, steak and potatoes, bread. I don't know, coconut cream pie or my mom's homemade ice cream. <laughs> Sweet. That's that well-rounded. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. And then just continuing on from that, I mean, food matters a lot and it's like, but sustenance, but there's also your relationship with it. And it's something that a lot of runners kind of mess up. There's a lot of, I, I see it like a lot of self-sabotage that happens with people like kind of, you know, going down rabbit holes or just developing an unhealthy relationship with food. So it matters a lot. Um, you seem to have it dialed in. So, you know, tell us what that looks like and, and maybe what the rest of us can learn from your approach. <laughs> Eat more steak and coconut cream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, everybody knows I love my tacos and burgers and Mexican food. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel really grateful that my, my parents are foodies. My, my mom is like a gourmet chef, um, grew up eating very eclectic food. My, my parents lived in Louisiana before I was born. So I grew up eating a lot of like seafood and we didn't really eat out that much either because with four kids in our family, my mom was about making home cooked meals and I had a vegetable garden. And I feel like I grew up eating like my mom trying to intentionally feed us good quality homemade food. I feel like I like grew up drinking milk for every meal and having homemade pies and ice cream and sweets. Like I was never exposed to eating disorders. Um, anything like that. I mean, we never had anything low fat in my household. I like grew up eating like really well and I wasn't exposed to eating disorders until I was in college. 
it was crazy because I, I like here, I, I like food and it gives me fuel and I couldn't imagine like cutting back, not eating frequently. Cause I, I think I would just feel terrible. And so, yeah, I feel like just like my upbringing, you know, with my parents was really a good thing because it just taught me that, you know, food is fuel to perform. And food gives me, you know, the energy to, to, to be that rocket to the moon. And I, I've, been, I've been talking more openly about period health the past year and a half. I've never missed my period in my entire running career. And I didn't even know that this was a thing until I was in college. And like just seeing my teammates talking about not getting their periods and having bone injuries and seeing that correlation to the way that they ate, that they weren't eating like a whole lot of calories. And, and I think that like back in the mid nineties is when the female athlete triad had like, um, that that became a thing. And so I remember learning about that, like uh, maybe through my science courses or reading like runner's world. And so, yeah, I feel like I was pretty informed. I mean, I'm a science person. I really wanted to understand, you know, like what can I do to perform at my best? And so I knew like from being a teenager that getting periods was kind of like a, a metric of, you know, my body health that I needed to get my periods because that meant that my hormones were in balance and that that helped my bone health to be strong, to perform. And so I knew from being a teenager that I needed to, 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 to keep track of my periods and make sure I got regular periods. And if I saw any like deviation in, in the days between my cycle that I knew that, oh, okay, I need to, I need to eat more. I need to, to be in energy balance. So yeah, I was really in tune with all that. And, and yeah, when I got into college and I saw my teammates not eating very well, not getting their periods, that that kind of reinforced in me that, that, okay, that's not the thing to do. Like I need to make sure I'm eating really well and fueling myself. And so, yeah, when I got into grad school and um, I went to Oregon State and one of my professors is Melinda Menor, who's an expert on the female athlete triad. And so she was one of my professors and I was in one of her grad students' research studies. And, and I remember learning um, from them. And, and I think at that time I was running about 80 miles per week. And so I like, I kind of built myself up at that time. And I remember them telling me like, okay, like this is what you need to do. You need to make sure that you're eating frequently throughout the day. You need to always have breakfast. You need to always eat before runs, after runs. And so I feel like I learned from them the habits that have carried me through my running career to make sure that I'm getting enough fuel and energy to be in energy balance, which obviously helps my, my period health and to get, you know, to be hormonally balanced to be energy balanced, to help my bones to be healthy. So yeah, I, like, you know, if I'm going to enforce, enforce with people like, you know, just eat frequently throughout the day that, that that's kind of how you're keeping your energy stores up, uh, to, to be able to, to run, to run a lot. I mean, I, I've been able to run, I think I just reached over 108,000 lifetime running miles, um, like two and a half weeks ago. I mean, I'm just, I'm the running machine. I'm like, I'm like, the, I'm like the female Forrest Gump. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it pretty much just all started from like what I learned in grad school, just having healthy eating habits and like how that's carried me through my running career. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm still doing this like in my forties now that I've like been a competitive runner for a long time, but, but yeah, here we are, obviously like what I've been doing with my diet, my, my whole life and like my running career like has really helped me to excel in ultra running i trained my gut <laughs> i've trained my gut i'm used to eating frequently throughout the day and running frequently and sleeping and all that so 
Yeah, throughout this this conversation and, and others that I've heard, but specifically this one, it's just I'm blown away by how your entire life kind of seems to have gotten you to this point, like so clearly. <laughs> You know, like you knew when you were little that you were going to be a runner. You went to school and learned all these things and you keep bringing all of these experiences into every single answer. And when you were going through this and having still a very successful running career, but not to the level that you're at now, was this kind of your grandmaster plan? Like, <laughs> are you a mastermind and stacking all of these bricks like you're saying, even just this professor you had, like, or these kind of coincidences you think, or maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, for, for me, I'm a, I'm a scientist. Like I think like a scientist and for me, like running is kind of like this applied experience of, you know, applying all these things I've learned from science and um, working on research. And, and so, yeah, you, you talk about having confidence. I mean, I know the science and I feel like knowledge is power. Like if you know the science and you have that knowledge, like for me, it's about trying to, you know, support or refute, you know, a, a theory. And so, and so, yeah, I really, I go into these events thinking, okay, I know what 10% off of the men's world record is and 10% is what women should be capable of. And so I end up going into these races pretty confident that this is possible. And um, even if people, other people don't think it's possible, like I go in like with that confidence and, and knowing the science and being able to be like, I know the science that this is supposed to work. And so for me, I feel like the knowledge is power. And that's really what gives me the confidence to do what I do. And I feel really blessed that I've had some amazing people in my life that, you know, have helped shape that and having, you know, both the genetics from my parents and, and then, you know, having that, that knowledge, you know, that the people that I've worked with throughout my running career and um, in research world. Um, yeah, I, I just think it, it just, I don't know, like, <laughs> it feels pretty amazing. It, it, I feel like, I feel like the higher I go, the the larger the circle around me becomes, and um, that I just end up having a, my support system ends up getting like bigger. I mean, I have a dietitian, I have my my doctor, I have my husband helping me. I'm getting ready to do the six day event. And I think I have like seven different people that, you know, I've met throughout my running career and throughout my life that are going to be helping me. So yeah, I think that, you know, they kind of end up being that wind beneath my wings. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I just keep going, going with it. And I, I'm, you know, I'm 41 now and I, you know, ultra, ultra running women seem to age like fine wine. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think that. I'm like in this sweet spot right now that I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I had no idea I was going to be able to do what I'm doing as an ultra runner now. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, like I, I, I've been the sport. I did bring in my first ultra 10 years ago and committed eight years ago. And I, I like to think that I'm kind of in the middle of my career right now that I've done, I've done a lot of things. I've pursued a lot of goals and, you know, achieved them, but I don't know what the future holds. <laughs> I still have many, many more goals. And, you know, as long as I have goals and I have the motivation and the inspiration and trying to keep myself healthy is always really important. But yeah, I feel like, I feel like the thing that I have going for me now is I have a lot more wisdom that I, you know, I've made all the, I've made so many mistakes throughout my running career that I think back, you know, what I was doing 10 years ago that I've made a lot of mistakes. I trained really, really hard back in my early thirties. And now that I'm in my forties, like I'm kind of pulling back the reins a bit. 
um, and learning to evolve with my body because I am going through perimenopause now. And I have to be a lot more kind to myself because training really, really hard all the time creates a lot of stress that impacts my female hormones. I, I think that that's a really big lesson to impart with people that the way you eat, the way you train, our, our human bodies aren't static through our life, that they change, our hormones change, and we kind of have to evolve with them and be like, okay, well, maybe I need to change my, my training, train, change my diet. I started working with a dietitian because I had to tweak my diet a bit and to, to evolve with my body and with my hormones. So yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is just learning to evolve with your body and to, to be like, to think kind of outside the box that, you know, our, our human body like changes through our life. Picking up on that notion of, of making mistakes and, and learning from mistakes, acquiring wisdom uh, that you can carry forward. I'm curious to know how you evaluate your own performances. You know, I, I imagine that that not every outing is is equally successful in, in terms of like how, how you look at it. But but what matters to you? Like when you look back at something you've completed and, and this was really, really satisfying or this one wasn't quite as satisfying, like what is the basis for, for your evaluation of your performances? <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, I'm not I, I feel like I'm not too judgmental of what I do. And I maybe that's a good thing that I'm just trying to be the best I can in that moment and on that day, I am a science person. I am, I love statistics. I love like seeing like where I rank on, you know, the all time spurtathlon list, that kind of thing. I don't, I don't know how you assess yourself. Obviously I'm trying to, I'm trying to get to that 10% or, or even closer off of the men's world records. And so like when I did my 48 hour world record, I think I got it down to like eight, 8%. 8% off the men's world records. So I'm already closing the gap on the men's world records. And I mean, that's exciting. That's really exciting because it, it, you know, that's the highest level of our sport. And, you know, there's theories about women being able to catch the men and, you know, the further we go. And I mean, that's what excites me is like, how far do I have to go to potentially close the world record on the, to the men's world records? And so I think about those, those kind of metrics and, you know, where I rank all time. I'm, and now like I'm, I'm comparing, I'm having to compare myself to the men because like, you know, I'm, I'm at the, at the top, like now it's kind of like, okay, now I'm chasing down the men, the men's records that ends up being motivation for me. Like I end up, you know, finding myself more competitive with the men and ultra running. But at, at the same time, I think one, one thing I've learned from, from my career is when I first got into the sport, I found myself trying to go out with the men and to race with them because I realized like, I, you know, I found myself up with the men, but, but as a woman, I don't think that the way that women should race, should race the same way that men do, that we tend to, women tend to pace a bit better and go out a bit slower and like come from behind. And so I think as I've evolved during my running career that I've learned that I've learned to go out a bit more conservatively because that's kind of what, like, that's what feels right for being a woman and working with my own physiology. And so I feel like I'm, I'm actually, Actually, like having more success now than I did at the beginning of my ultra career because I'm learning to kind of tune into what I'm feeling and not letting the men force me to go out too fast and try to run their race. I'm, I'm focused more on running my race um, and tuning into my my own physiology and what I'm feeling. So 
Um, so yeah, I think that that's really important. Like, I, you know, women are wired differently from men. And I think that we, you know, we have to like maybe think about our nutrition differently, training differently, how we pace in races. And so, yeah, I, I feel like I'm tuning more into my, my woman physiology and what I'm feeling and that that's really helping me to excel and to, to keep going and getting better. So I want to ask a similar question to that um, because I feel like every time I meet uh, an, an outstanding athlete like yourself, I'm always surprised by kind of how humble you are <laughs> and just soft-spoken about one, your accomplishments, but two, how you view competition. And so going into races, how do you determine your goals for each race? Because I know ultra marathons, the distances vary. You've got a six day, you've got a 48 hour, you got 24 hours versus marathon is it's the same distance every time. Granted, the course changes, but you've got all these varying races. How do you determine your goals going into each yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Great, great question. So I, I learned when I got into the sport that I kind of went and took like that 10% off of the men's world records and what I equated to in terms of heart rate percent off of your heart rate max. And so, for example, the marathon is around 87 to 90% of max percent of max heart rate. The, the 50K is about 85%. Um, and 50 miles to 100K is around 80%. 100 miles is 75%. And then 24 hours is about 65 to 70%. So 65 to 70% of max heart rate is like an easy long run pace. So I'm getting ready to do the 24 hour world championship coming up. And, you know, I put on my heart rate monitor and I practice like what that effort feels like running at 65, 70%. And I, I know what that feels like. And I really just try to focus on that effort during the race and trying to sustain that as long as I can. Obviously, when you're going these long distances, you start having like fatigue and pain and you have to troubleshoot nutrition. You have to go to the bathroom. You might have to sleep. So like at some point, it gets harder to, to maintain that. And so I just try to focus on, you know, pushing and trying to maintain that as long as I can. But then like at some point, it just gets, you know, too much extreme fatigue. I think about like the my last 24-hour world record that I ran four years ago that I was trying to maintain the 65, 70% effort as long as I could. And then the sleep deprivation kicks in. But there, there came a point where I had a couple hours left and my husband told me, hey, you're going to surpass Scott Jurek. <laughs> and so, you know, the, there ends up being these like moments of motivation and inspiration that um, like, you know, you wonder how when you're in extreme pain and fatigue, how do you find a way to push even faster? And so my husband was able to, you know, push my buttons and he knew like, you know, if I had it in my mind, I can surpass Scott Jurek that I'm going to, I'm going to be able to shift gears during the race. And in my mind, I was thinking about um, these long progression runs that I do when I do long runs and I pick up the pace. Um, you know, I might be running at this steady state, 65, 70%, like really easy, but then I pick up the pace. And like, this is something I've practiced in training that my body's used to doing. And so those last couple hours, I was able to drop the pace down. <laughs> like this is like 150 miles into the race. <laughs> and I picked up the pace. Like I'm in extreme pain and fatigue and I found a way 
way in my mind to be able to shift gears. And it, you know, it all came down to that motivation and thinking I'm going to surpass Scott Jerk. <laughs> so I feel like there's, there's definitely a power to the mind and, you know, to be able to, to kind of have those gear shifts when I'm doing these ultras. And, um, and yeah, I did, I, you know, I, 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 Scott Jerk had an amazing career, but I do have a faster 24 hour time. So I'm, <laughs> I love that. There's a little spice to the soft spoken. That was great, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I have, yeah, you, you talk about humility. You definitely have to have humility when you do these events because they're they're just so grueling and extreme. And I've had so many setbacks. I mean, I've tried and tried. Like, I think it my my forty eight hour world record was like my third attempt at that distance. And so, um, you know, you you fell, you fell a lot, and that's you know, you learn you learn from those mistakes, and you know, you take those experiences to learn how to do better next time. Um, you know, same for twenty four hours. I think I like fell the first my first 24 hours and and people doubting me you know the, the I, I've had so many people doubt me especially like I just you know I, I I used to be able to I used to go out really fast and I'd be you know projected pace would be whatever um, and people are like she's going out too fast she can't keep this up and um, you know, those people that have doubted me have been motivation to pe- to be able to get it right. And I've learned, you know, I've, I'm definitely like learned how to, to pull back the reins and to pace myself better. I feel like I'm, I'm like in, kind of the prime and, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for that because I have made a lot of mistakes and, and I take those, those struggles and those mistakes and, you know, apply it to, to be able to get it right. And, but yeah, at the same time, like I, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fiery character. My husband knows how to push my butt to to motivate me and that the competitor in me comes out you know I I, I laugh I, I run with my hair down and so I, I look like this lion when I run like I'm an animal so. <laughs> that was actually going to be one of my questions and I know we're coming up on the total time that we said but I could probably talk to you for about four more hours um but one of my questions is how the heck do you run with your hair down? Because truly on Friday, I went for a small little jog and my hair tie fell out. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's everywhere. Like I don't have a hat. I'm like so distracting. And then every photo I saw of you, your hair is down. I'm like, okay, not one time have I seen her hair up at all. How, what hair masks are we using? Like Give me the products. Oh, What's going that's on? Funny. Um, yeah, I, I I started running with my hair down my freshman year of college. I think it was like the summer before my freshman freshman year, and I was I was out running like a summer day in July, and um and I was like I was just feeling the breeze going through my hair, and um I just really enjoyed the way that I felt. Like it felt like freedom, and just like I'm just like free. Um, so and and back then I had a lot shorter hair, so it was easier to maintain but um and even like my marathon and career I had shorter hair and it was easier to work with um but as I laugh it's like it's like the further I go the longer my hair gets so <laughs> now it's getting more challenging but um but yeah I, I just don't I just don't care I just a crazy hair don't care 
Um, when I, I it, it, to me, it just feels like it flies like like a cape, and I just like the way it feels like that. That um, and it's kind of like the um, the sprinkler system. The um, I don't know what you call it when I was when I was a kid in the eighties. Like we had that sprinkler thing that the the arms like waved all over the place. Um, and so that I, mm-hmm. I laugh that that's kind of what my hair feels like. It feels almost like a like a fan or like those like arms waving, and so it like keeps me like really cool. Um, and really comfortable. I mean, sometimes I usually train with a hat most days because I'm trying to keep the sun off my face. But when I race, I really like that that feeling of my hair flying. Um, and yeah, in terms of like tangles and all that, I just don't care if it gets tangled. I just, you know, get in the shower and wash it. And, and I, I think I use like Nexus and the Nexus, well, I forget what it's called, the, the shampoo. Um, Nexus shampoo and their conditioner. Um, and yeah, just detangle my hair. But I mean, I finished Spartathlon and my hair, I literally look like a lion. Like, <laughs> it it takes that. work. It, ta- it definitely takes some work to detangle it. But, you know, at the same time, I just I just yeah. don't stress about it. Like, I just don't. I'm just like during races, if it gets tangled, I'm just like, oh, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, any, any uh, questions you want to shoehorn in before we wrap it up? No, I, I was just going to comment like that. That seemed like a very superficial question. It ended up, ended up being super deep, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Maybe I'm the, maybe I'm the mastermind. That was my plan the whole time. <laughs> no, um, it was super deep. Yeah. Um, well, to wrap up, we do have a, a super deep closing question. We call it to end every episode. And so mine for you is you are kind of the poster child for a woman, at least in my mind of, like you're never too old, you're not done yet, you know, your life doesn't end once you have kids, which I know you haven't, but like that's kind of the idea. You turn 30 and it's just downhill till you're in the ground. But what sort of legacy do you want to leave? Yeah, I I mean, I've been propelled by joy. <laughs> I've been propelled by joy. I love to run. I mean, I just, when I, like I said, when I flash back to during these long races, I flash back to being a kid. Um, running through the wheat fields, looking for wildlife, enjoying nature, enjoying being outside. And I still feel that every day that I run, that I get out and I'm I'm excited to like, what am I going to see? Like what, you know, the sun, the sunset, the sunrise, like, you know, I, I, I just enjoy nature and being outside. And, you know, I hope that people can find that joy that, you know, keeps them going and running through their life. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a competitor. I, I hope I can compete for, for my life. But, you know, if there ever comes a point that I have to slow down or I can't compete, like, I just want to keep moving. I want to keep moving with joy. I love to walk. I would, you know, I grew up playing lots of sports. And I, I think that, you know, if, if there ever came a point where I wouldn't be able to to run or walk like I do, I, I would find some other outlet to continue to move. And yeah, I just, I just like the way it makes me feel and getting outside and, uh, yeah, I just, I just have such a joy and, you know, I hope that like I can you know, to bring that joy to joy to the world, like that, that sense of joy to, to move um, through your life and, you know, how, how being a runner makes life better. Like, I feel like, like it just really like expands my life and the people I meet and the places I go. And, and um, yeah, I really, really have a sense of gratitude for that. Like what I've been able to do with my running and yeah, it just makes life better. So beautiful. Love it. Thank you so much, yeah. Camille. Sure. Yeah, it was great, great chatting with you. And um, yeah, let just 
keep going with it. <laughs> let the magic, <laughs> let the magic come out. I'm getting ready to do six days next year um, with our, our Lululemon team. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll see if I can break a men's world record. <laughs> yes. Maybe we'll have to get you back on here once there you do. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And there you have it. Another huge thanks to Camille for sharing her awe-inspiring journey with us. If you're looking to hear more conversations with folks like Camille, don't forget to subscribe for more incredible stories from the world of endurance sports. And for more information about Camille, you can find that in the show notes. Until next time, stay fueled, stay strong, stay healthy, and happy training. <laughs>